Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And to those of you online, good morning to you also. I guess I should say Merry Christmas, unless it <laughs> seems like I, it's expected. Well, <laughs> thank you. The glory to God, that's going to be the topic this morning. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, the text will be verse 14, but we're going to stand and read verses 8 through 15. I'll do the reading, and you'll do the agreeing, hopefully. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock, by night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that, was, that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Please be seated. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Words spoken from a chorus of angelic beings to shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem. Glory, of course, is that magnificence in this context, the splendor that goes to God, that unmatched honor that is accompanied by understanding. It doesn't give God any um, credit to, to what the work of the Holy Spirit is when we don't understand things. Confusion is not an asset. It works against us. But there's no reason for that. The scripture is filled with information about God for us to worship Him, to magnify His name, to appreciate His glory with understanding. Therefore, true Christians are very serious about how God uses them to deliver His message, the message of the gospel, the good news, the message about sinners and how God is going to handle the whole thing concerning people and sin and this world. And whatever unbelievers may be doing, true Christians must keep central in their life that relationship with Jesus Christ, the truth that goes along with the gospel, holiday or not. Setbacks and hardships must not diminish in our eyes the glory of God. Paul wrote to the Romans, he spoke about Abraham's faith. He said, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. 
Well, all Christians look at that verse and say, I want to be like that. I want to have faith that doesn't waver. I want to give glory to God. I don't want the glory of God to diminish in my eyes, in my heart, because of things in life. I want to persevere. Paul wrote a bunch of churches in Galatia. He said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's saying to them, you know, it is hardship, but it, worshiping God is worth it. His glory, it's all about his glory. I've been crucified to the world. There's pain involved in separating from the things of men and drawing close to the things of God. Of course, this section that we just read in Luke, there's a great prophetic background. In verse 4, if you're still there, you can look along with me in chapter Luke. We read, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Well, the reason why they're traveling to Bethlehem from Nazareth, about 70 miles, is because the world leader then was Caesar, and Caesar wanted the people to be numbered so he could tax them. And so he ordered this, uh, that the, the census takes place, and that's picked up in verses 1 and 2. And so here, Joseph and Mary leaving Nazareth, coming this 70-mile trek, uh, you know, that road to Bethlehem also went to Jerusalem and Hebron. Those are two bigger cities. So there's a lot of people going back to their hometowns, going uh, to, to register, and it would have been quite crowded uh, along that road. And this will explain uh, why the manger, uh, well, why the inn was, was crowded, overcrowded, and they ended up outside. Luke verse 11 now, in Luke chapter 2, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, this is, of course, referring to David the king, his birthplace, well, the prophetic background to this is 700 years earlier, Micah the prophet said this very thing would take place. Well, now it's happening. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, that's its old name, from the old name for Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. The ancient of the days, as Daniel said. This points to, of course, the self-existence of Christ. He's not just a descendant of David. There's a lot more going on here. This is, again, uh, prophecy. The, the whole purpose of Christ coming into the world this way is to highlight for men that God is in total control. None of this was by accident. And... What's going to happen going forward is not going to be by accident also. No such prophecies preceded the birth of Confucius or Muhammad or Buddha or Voltaire or anybody else. This is a big deal. Luke chapter 2, again, verses 9 and 10, And behold, an angel... Of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. 
Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Within that all people is just what it means, Jews and Gentiles alike. Here's this massive group of angelic beings glorifying God, reinforcing the announcement. The love of God is baked into all of this. The love for sinners. And Christ came for those who are sinners. And that would be everybody. Verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So the messengers from heaven. Here they are. And their presence is saying there's more to the here and now than the here and now. There are other created beings of God. And they, many of them are invisible. And here they show up. This whole thing is spiritual. It made a great impact on the shepherds in the field. Peace and goodwill toward men, not on men. Limitations accompany the benefits and the blessings of God. Something a lot of people don't want or accept. They feel they're entitled for, to that God just blessed them. But that is not what the Bible teaches. In Luke chapter 9, verse 56, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them at the first coming. At the second coming of Christ, which of course has not happened yet, there will be destruction. There will be judgment. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But they'll have no one to blame but themselves. And this is part of the message. Why the gospel is called the good news is because one does not have to suffer for their sin. God has made a way of escape, a way to forgive them. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, God was manifested in the flesh. Well, it's Christ, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. What a wonderful summary of the birth and life of Christ in that short little verse. But his, his glory, when he came to be born among men, was a veiled glory. As others traveled to their cities due to, again, the edict of Caesar, the inn that Mary and Joseph had hoped to find rest in was overcrowded. In verse 7 of Luke 2, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, commentators have a lot to say about that inn. Was there somebody there? Was it just for Anna? On and on it goes. But suffice it to say, you know, Jeremiah the prophet, in his ninth chapter, he was so weary about the sins of the people that were around him. How they weren't interested in God. And he, he lamented before the Lord. In fact, it's, it's worth reading Jeremiah chapter 9. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He's seeing the judgments coming. And then he goes on to say, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them. 
For they are all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. And so there's the prophet weeping over the coming judgment on the wickedness of the people and wanting to escape it all. But he mentions that there are inns for travelers. And Jeremiah came 500 years before the birth of Christ. So my whole point is, there were lodging places for travelers. Even the Romans looked into, made sure that there were places that travelers could stop and, and rest. And this was one of them. But because of the crowds, no place for the pregnant mom. And of course, thank God, Joseph was there with her. People occupy with life, oblivious to the arrival of this Messiah, God in the flesh. God manifested in the flesh, as Paul said. It was a lonely arrival. But under the care of Joseph and Mary, with unseen angelic beings as an escort in the area, which again showed up uh, to the shepherds, well, these invited the shepherds, and it's interesting the language that they, well, the details that they give in verse 12 of Luke chapter 2. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Well, that narrowed it down, did it not? Most babies that are born into the world have a nice cradle and a cozy environment. But this king of kings did not have that. The manger. That um, it's a feeding trough for, for animals. His veiled entrance into humanity cloaked his glory. He came with a low profile. When the ancient Jews departed Egypt, emancipated, of course, by God, they trekked across the Arabian desert. And there in the wilderness, God had given them a tabernacle, a place to approach him, a place of worship. And there were specific instructions regarding this tabernacle. Within it, and essentially a large tent, within it there was furniture. Most of it made of wood overlaid with gold. In the holiest place of that tabernacle, there was a chest that uh, was made of wood, overlaid with gold, because if it were made of gold, they would not have been able to lift it. And this tabernacle was portable. It was something that they would pack up and, and take with, with them as they moved through the Arabian wilderness. Well, that Ark of the Covenant had within it the rod of Aaron that budded. It was a stick, a dead almond stick. And miraculously, it, it budded almonds to demonstrate to the people who were challenging the authority of Moses and Aaron that Aaron was God's man. He was the high priest, and the, peace were, the people were not to challenge his authority. And to demonstrate that, the rod of Aaron budded. Well, also in that chest was a pot of manna, the, God, the, the food that God provided for the Jews when they were in the wilderness. And then, finally, there were the copies of the commandments of God, written with the finger of God. The original being destroyed by man, Moses in a fit of anger. Moses had some anger issues, but, but God did not disqualify him. He worked with him, and Moses paid for some of that anger. Well, Moses threw those tablets down, when he came from the mountain and he saw the people in debauchery. And God redid them for Moses, had Moses bring the stones up, though. 
And he wrote on, on them, and they were in this chest. Well, when it was time to move, to relocate that chest, which was the mercy seat of God on top of it, the lid was the mercy seat of God, the Jewish people didn't get to see that. Only the priests got to look at it. When they went to move, they would cover it up. They would veil the glory. And this is speaking, this is a sort of a coming attraction of characteristics about the coming Messiah. Numbers chapter 4. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his son shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil to cover the ark of the testimony with it. So again, this pictures for us the veiled glory of our Lord Jesus when he joined the human experience. Paul says he emptied himself. That is, of course, um, when he adorned humanity, he never stopped being divine. He just sort of held his sovereignty in reserve. John chapter 1 verse 14 indicates that the glory of his deity was never absent. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Of course, I'm working towards points. I have the difficulty on a Sunday, on a Christmas morning, to share a story you know as well as I do and not put you to sleep. But at the other side of that, hopefully there are unbelievers present who think that they showed up here without God. And I have to address them also. And if you are an unbeliever, if you've not given your life to Christ, and you are here in this church this morning, God is the one brought you here, not Satan. Satan will not bring you to a Bible-teaching church. He's got plenty of other types of churches to take you to. So this is not by mistake. The greatest child ever born is, of course, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, came as a servant. Luke chapter 1, verse 35 this is Gabriel speaking to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Well, someone might protest and say, well, we're all children of God, are we not? Yes, we are, but we're not the only begotten child of God that comes from the Father that has been from everlasting. That is exclusively for Jesus Christ. Now, periodically, of course, Christmas sets before us and society a season of great fuss over this baby. What makes the birth of this child so special to mankind? Well, his death, his resurrection, and his coming judgment. These are the things that have to do with this birth being so special. There's more to this child than what we're reading in this second chapter of Luke. Sinners are not saved at the manger, but at the cross of Christ. That's a very big deal. In 2 Timothy, and again, if you're not a believer, I'm quoting the scripture verses so someone can look them up to verify these things, to fact check the authority behind the statements. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he wrote to 
Paul writing to Timothy says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So I mentioned to you what makes this baby so special. His death, yes. His birth, his death, his resurrection, and his judgment to come. There are consequences. Consequences are painful. There are consequences to not accepting the truth that God has revealed to man. He went on to say to Timothy, after he said he will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, he then said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convict, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. What stands out concerning this morning is, in season and out of season, whether it is the season of holidays, known as Christmas, or some other holidays, or not, our message and our approach does not change. What we Christians are always looking to do is share Christ. We're always looking to mature in Christ, to be as Christ-like as we can, to be useful to God. And part of being useful to God is more than just helping out in the church. It is also being ready to preach the gospel. And then when the Lord gives you a chance, we preach the gospel. This was the beginning of God on earth, this birth in the manger. First John chapter 3, verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. The only person in history that has no sin, according to the word of God. If anybody tells you otherwise, they're going against the scripture, because the scripture said all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And the only exception is this one here. Sinners don't take too kindly to God's diagnosis of themselves, nor his remedy. Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of this Jesus. Speaking about him 700 years before he came along. Micah, contemporary with Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. The words do not capture the misery that he experienced. What he had to go through to bring people to heaven. Nobody went to heaven before Christ died on the cross. The baby born with a manger at his cradle is the sum total of God adorning humanity. Men will talk to God in his name. What makes this baby so special? What's all the fuss about this babe in the manger? Well, like I just said, men will talk to God in his name, in Jesus' name. Men will baptize men in his name. They will be persecuted, persecuted in his name. And they will be received into heaven in his name. His name is the most potent name in history. For 2,000 years, no name has had so deep an effect on human thinking as his. Does the world even know what the birthday is? Or does the world celebrate the birthdays of Confucius or Muhammad or Darwin? Well, a few may but not the world. When it's time to celebrate the coming of Christ, the whole world knows it. 
enemies and friends alike are aware of it. People from Western civilizations are not breaking into Islamic countries, but people from Islamic countries are breaking into Western civilization, uh, countries of Western civilization. Why is this? What is the cause of this? Is everything to do with Christ? Because what makes Western civilization what we know today is Jesus Christ. That's the big difference. By his name, history is divided into B.C. and A.D. Even those who don't like it must do it. The Chinese can have their New Year. The Jews have theirs. They have tried to try to come up with ways around uh, admitting that there is a B.C. and A.D. And they cannot do it. They have to acknowledge it no matter what. The most potent name ever is in Christ. Nor is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Well, again, you may say, I did not come to church to hear about my sin. I came to talk about, you know, silent nights and uh, other things that make me feel good so that we can go home and exchange gifts. Well, there's nothing wrong with going home and exchanging gifts and things like that, especially if you get better gifts than you gave. <laughs> That's called buying low and selling high. But again, you may not have come to hear these things, but that's why God brought you here. Those who suppose that Christmas is not about war between heaven and hell are blinded. Any celebration about anything with Christ, anything having to do with the name of Christ, is on the battlefield of souls. In this life, there is no exception. In 2 Corinthians, Paul was telling the Corinthians what's going on behind uh, the lines of unbelievers, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. There's the glory of Christ again showing up. But maybe you didn't catch it. The sarcasm, the strength, the power of mockery. In, in a hope, in an attempt to jar you into seeing what's going on. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Satan has blinded you. Because he doesn't want you to see the gospel, and you're helping him. You're helping him by submitting to these things. This baby in the manger is born to be sacrificed. That's what's going to happen. Within 30 years of this moment in the manger, a little bit more than 30 years, men through God's glorious peace, that peace offer that came through the message of these angels, peace on earth toward men, they will throw it back into the face of God. In John's gospel, when they were looking for ways to crucify Christ, and they were moving him from one Jewish court to another, moving him to the Gentile court of Pilate. We have this exchange, this brief exchange with Pilate. Pilate therefore said to him, to Jesus, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born. 
And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Well, catch this. Satan may blind your eyes, but the voice of God can still reach your ears. There are other ways to reach you. And Jesus just pointed it out. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, blind or not. Well, what do you do with that kind of information? Well, some of them in Jesus' day, we know what they did with him. They hated him first. They beat him. They publicly ridiculed him. This was God's beloved son. This is what they did to him just before they nailed him to his cross. So that he could take our punishment. That we could have access to the throne of God when we leave this life and enter the larger life. That life in heaven. And so when Jesus says again to Pilate, this is why I've come into the world. For sinners. It's all about the truth. And for centuries, countless multitudes have sneered. I don't believe he came from heaven. I don't believe the things said about him. And instead, they settle for lesser views of God and higher views of themselves. What is God supposed to do with that? We see why Jeremiah wept. You see why it broke his heart and he just wanted to get away. They persecuted Jeremiah for the truths that he said about them. May we never imagine that the cross of Christ will become socially acceptable. It will not. It will always be an offense to sinners. It will always offer peace to sinners or judgment. It's their call. With all the technology and all the industrial achievements of man, there is one thing man can never achieve. It's lasting peace. And they certainly can't achieve peace with God. And they don't mind boasting about their accomplishments. But when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about boasting on God. Because he is worthy. In that ninth chapter of Jeremiah, toward the end, in contrast to everything he's been dealing with, because he's going to tell them, uh, continue in that ninth chapter of Jeremiah, to flag their sins and say, thus says the Lord about the judgment coming your way. And then he says this, Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and verse 24, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. How much theology is packed into those two verses? How much of this has to do with everything about us. It tells us that God exercises loving kindness, but he also exercises judgment. And he's looking for righteousness, right things. He delights in these things, it says. Moses called out to God, Now therefore, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your glory that I may find grace in your sight. Show me your magnificence. I still don't have enough. I still don't understand enough. 
There are things that I'm still not clear on. Can you show me your glory, your magnificence? And God does that in multitude, a multitude of ways. How he demonstrates his glory to us. Sometimes it's a word at a timely moment. Sometimes he withheld something we want only for us to find out later. Thank God he withheld it. There are so many ways that God communicates his glory to us. He doesn't need to send angels, a chorus of angels, to tell us these things anymore. We have his scripture. We have his Holy Spirit. And Paul said he was manifested in the flesh. And that he mentions the spirit. Because that is who lives in our hearts, the Holy Spirit of God, to teach us about Christ. Many nod with approval. At the words of Jeremiah, let not the wise glory in his wisdom or his might or his riches. Many said, yeah, I I agree with that. But the snare still has them. They still then go out and glory in those things and not in God. We may come to know God through the words that he spoke. I did. That's how I came to know Christ, by reading the Bible. Others, of course, by listening to sermons almost as good as mine. (laughs) Others can know about Christ through what he did and what he did not do. What is one of the outstanding things that Christ did not do? Call judgment down on them when they were trying to arrest him. I can call 12 legions right now. What did he do and what did he not do when they were nailing him to the cross? Father, forgive them for their sin. They don't know what they're doing. We may know him by the impression he made upon his friends. And we can know him by the impression he made upon his enemies. We can also know him by the impression he made upon his contemporaries. Christ can be known and Christ is God the Son. And if you can know Christ, you can know God. If you want to know what God the Father is like, you look at the Son. Not the Son in the sky, but the only begotten Son. And so when Philip says, show us now the Father, and it will suffice. Have you not known me, Peter? He who has seen the Father has seen me. Nobody can say that. Mary can't say that. Moses can't say that. Peter cannot say that. You, I, Nobody can say that. Except the one from everlasting. The branch from the Father. So, to the unbelievers at this season of gift exchange, God wants to give you a gift. And the only thing he's looking back, looking forward in return, the gift that he's looking for from you is that you believe him and that you act on that belief. Don't think that celebrating Christmas makes you right with God. You're going to have to do a lot more than that. And that is you're going to have to stop thinking truth is a matter of taste. And understand that spiritual truth is a matter of revelation. And you're either going to get information from hell through humans. Or you're going to get it from heaven through God, his word, using humans. Nothing can make up for your unbelief. Celebrating holidays will not save your soul. Acknowledging Jesus Christ is not enough. You are not good enough for God without Christ. That is a fact. And why do people believe that which does not deserve to be believed? The Jews did not. Why did they believe in little trinkets 
and made up ideas of God that were created by men and passed on by men. They deserved better, but they turned it down. They had the revelation of God. They had the things that backed it up, and so do we. Don't trust yourself to figure out God. You'll never do it. It has to be revealed. The Spirit of God has to be involved. No man comes to the Father unless he is drawn. No man comes to the Son unless the Father draw him. You're not good enough for God without Christ. There is more to Jesus than the Christmas story. And it's rather insulting to think that that's, all, that, that that's what there is about God. He was born and he, he, you know, they put him in a manger. And then you go on about your life after Christmas. You say, it sounds like you're scolding me. I'm scolding error. I'm scolding lies that Satan is selling you. Things that aren't true about you and about God and your destiny. God is looking for the contrite heart. The sincerity of heart based on truth. It's not enough to be sincere if you think that you can pick and choose what to believe. Regardless of what facts are in front of you. When God seems to you to be unknowable or hard to find. It is God trying to get you to seek him. To pedal faster. To work harder. Before it's too late. God can be known. Satan is the one. You know, you've heard people boast that they are, they are uh, agnostics. Which is the Latin word for ignoramus. It, it really is. I mean, I'm not making this up. If you want to boast, boast that you understand God. That you know him. Don't go around boasting, well, you know, I've looked into it and I just think it's impossible. It's, it's very difficult. I can't, I can't be sure. Yeah, you can be sure. It's a lie again out of hell to tell you, you can't be sure about the things that God is sure of. God is able to speak to man. Man's great transgression is when they find their feet where they don't belong. Then you're a transgressor. Ignoring the scriptures, ignoring the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the return of Christ, and the judgment that comes with it. Ignoring those things makes you a transgressor. Denying God's glory. Robbing him from the true so that you can give to the false. That's what's taking place. Where else are you going to hear these things? You've probably been told these things by someone who loves the Lord Jesus, but you've learned to block them out. It's become white noise to you. Maybe your mom or your dad. Maybe it's your brother or sister or son or co-worker. They've tried to preach to you, but it's white noise now. You don't hear it. And so God's giving you another chance. He's brought you into the house of God where the word is preached. And he's saying, wake up. Because the time will come where it's too late. Today, if you stop hardening your heart, you can be saved. Revelation 20, verse 15. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is going to happen. It does not have to happen to anyone who hears the gospel of Christ. Love for God is the sum of all that God is. His goodness, His greatness. Then there's the love for men, which comes out of loving God. Not because men deserve it, but because men need it. 
Where was the world? You know, history tries to cover up a lot of the evil that has taken place in civilizations. They don't want you to know how messed up man is without God, without Christ. There are many counterfeits of Christ. History is filled with counterfeits that claim to be launching wars and taking over things for Jesus. But really, Jesus was in none of what they were doing. Sinners are not saved at the manger, but at the cross. That bears repeating. I'm almost done. It's not a question of eyesight, but spiritual insight. It is the spiritual mind that sees more than the natural eye. You're never going to learn these things apart from the Holy Spirit. You're not going to find these things apart from Scripture. If as you're listening, you're saying, I want to be right with God, what do I have to do? Well, there is, of course, the confession of faith. That's imperative, that you repent, that you acknowledge the truth of God, that you acknowledge the truth about yourself, being a sinner before Him, that you cannot earn your salvation. It is something that we receive. But then you also have to study to show yourself approved unto God. You have to learn about Him. If, if it's not enough to just do a little bit for the kingdom, and it is always worth doing more for God to the individual and to those around them, that is called being a blessing. Without the cross that overshadows the manger, the entire event is of little benefit. What benefit would it have been to you if Christ were born in a manger and just died of old age? There would have been no sacrifice for you, no covering, no washing away of sin. Our message is not that of a babe in the manger, but of the risen Christ, the empty tomb. And he sits at the throne of God by way of a bloody cross that is often ignored and the empty tomb as well. Revelation 5.9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That is, again, another summary of the life of Christ. Is it vain to tell you of a Savior that you see no beauty in? The prophets explained what has happened. The apostles explained what is to happen. But no one can explain what you're going to do with these explanations. It's up to you. i close with this verse from King David. This is echoed in Jesus uh, teaching what's called the Lord's Prayer, where he says, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And he's teaching us to pray. It has its foundation, of course, in David. When David was dedicating the temple of God in Jerusalem, no longer in a tent, but now in a structure of, of, of stone. First Chronicles 29, verse 11. Here's David's prayer. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, 
And you are exalted as head over all. What a powerful prayer. That is a prayer that is supposed to be understood by believers and unbelievers alike. Let's close in prayer. And as I close in prayer, if you've not offered your life to Christ, you're going to get another chance. There may not come another one. This may be the last one. I encourage you to make it count. Let's pray. Our Father, indeed, you are the one full of glory and majesty and power. And our eternity is in your hands. We who believe, thank you for allowing Jesus Christ to die on our behalf in our place as sinners, to take our punishment and our shame upon him, to rise again, to demonstrate his authority over sin. And now he sits at the throne, worshipped by those who have given their life to you. But there are others, Lord. There are those that have not opened their hearts, busy with life, busy with listening to things that have no basis in reality, that sound true, but again, are without foundation. If you're here this morning, whether you're online watching or in the church building, and you've not opened your heart to Christ, you have a chance right now to take the first step to being right with your Maker. Never mind what the world says. What does God say? If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask that from this day forward, not only would you forgive me of my sin, but that you would be the Lord over my life. That I would glorify you. That I would see your love for me. And that you would see my love for you. And I give my heart to you right here, right now. That you would be the Savior of my soul and the Lord over my life forever and ever. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning. When invited after service to come up and just share it with one of the pastors. May they be unashamed. May they come forward and say, I've just given my life to Christ. And I want you to just pray that I grow in the grace and the knowledge of my Lord. Now, Father, these things we commit to your hands. In the name of Jesus, amen.